Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and I'm joined as always by a giant sentient bag of mail that I have named Scott Daly. Scott, how are you doing? Dearest Matt, I am doing very well, thank you. Sincerely, a giant bag of sentient mail named Scott. This is the weekly podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of heated Nazi arguments, challenging questions, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Matt, it's mailbag time. That's right, Scott. I am on vacation this week, as you have probably noticed by how I sound a little different. Um, But instead of taking the whole week off, we decided that it would be fun to read your questions instead. So we're going to do that. Again, apologies for the audio quality i am sitting in matt's kitchen right now ironically matt i drove all the way up here and we're not in the same room still yeah that's it's far too sophisticated to use (laughs) modern technology to record two people in the same room and easier to just put them in separate rooms and connect them together over you know voip yeah that seems like a dystopian nightmare but you're true you're absolutely right Um, all right, so, so quick announcement before we start on the questions. Fan art contest reminder. The fan art contest has begun. The theme is family, and the contest will run until Friday, August 17th at 11.59 p.m. Click the link in the description of this episode for the official rules. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Uh, so get to work. Yeah. We're going to keep reminding you guys so you don't forget. All right, now let's just dig on into this big old bag of mail here. Let me just we got- rummage... So many questions. At the top here, looks like. All right. So from, uh, we, we have a, a bunch from Calinero 98. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. But 95 now, to open it up. Before uh, we get started, maybe we should say like, here's what we're going to do. Um, we pulled all your questions. We threw them in alphabetical order and we're going to get through as many of them as we can. Um, we're going to have to like, we got a lot of questions this time, like 40 or 50 questions. So. We're going to try to knock out every single one if we can, but we also tend to go on we do. for too long on each question. So yeah, that's not a strong suit of ours. Anyway, moving on. So um, <laughs> uh, Calinero starts off by asking, um, they, they basically point out that Game of Thrones, Westworld, e- even Rick and Morty are shows where um, it can sort of ruin the show if the internet like solves the plot, you know, too quickly. And uh, they feel like the type of analysis that we bring to Worm and Ward is not um, is not such that it would re- it would ruin the story if we like figured it out or something like that. And I think that's an interesting the, the, the question. Then following that up, as they say, do you think this is a difference in the way we approach with our criticism, or a difference in the work itself, or both? Um, and I think that it's both, but I think that that's because of a difference in the work and it necessitates that we cover it differently because it's just not, you know, it, it, it's just not, um, a completely plot driven enterprise where, where everything hinges on, on, um, you know, detailed clues. It's, it's, it's something that kind of evolved over time. I, I completely agree with that. And and I'll also say like, personally, it was a, it's a conscious effort on my part to never be that kind of critic. Um, I think I did that with lost, like before I was even like writing or talking about film or movies or TV, like I was really into lost and solving the mystery box. And it's the kind of show that like makes you do that kind of, um, and 
I was so disappointed by how that show ended. I just decided like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So that's not the type of critic I want to be. And so I think that is something we've consciously tried to do with the show is, is I don't want to, I don't want to build it as this is just a mystery waiting to be solved because I just don't think that's the, the right way to appreciate, uh, stories. Yeah. And, and with these, with these stories in particular, you're enjoying them, you know, you're enjoying every page of it. You're not thinking like, oh man, this is going to be awesome when we find out what it really is, because frankly, it never is like almost no story I've ever read. Was I like, wow, that really earned all the buildup, you know, maybe, maybe one. And uh, that makes me kind of want to go back and revisit lost honestly, because I, I wonder if, I look at that show and approach it with the mindset that I have today where I don't care about the mystery. Like, let's talk about the character. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care about where the story is going to go. Let's focus more on what is happening to our characters. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care who the man in black is. That doesn't matter. But what does that say about Jack Mm -hmm. and Locke and all these characters? I think maybe I'd enjoy that show and how it ended a lot more. Maybe so. Yeah. But again, it was a show that that basically demanded you do that kind of thing. And that's why I just haven't gotten into Westworld at all, because it's that exact same kind of thing where it's just a show demanding to be like scrutinized, but for the wrong things, I think. Yeah, I agree. All right. Next up, another question from Calerno. How do you think Ward is doing at balancing the need slash desire to include old characters and favorites in reasonable ways versus giving in to blatant fan service? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised at how slowly they've been doled out. Like, I remember when we when we thought we were going to see Vista and then we didn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we met well relatively early. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with the balance that's being struck here. I I uh, I guess I'm I don't know. I, I if, if you'd asked me when the story was starting, I would have said, like, yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to see these characters because we know that they're important right and we may not see so like i can't say that i'm i i guess i'm if i'm surprised at anything it's how long um it's it's taken for us to meet for example uh, dragon um, yeah but uh, i don't have any complaints about it it's just interesting <laughs> yeah no i i pretty much completely agree i think it, it is probably very tempting to want to loop these old characters in just because uh, wild Bo clearly enjoys them and he probably likes writing them um and i think it's it's a combination of taking your time to dole them out and also how they're framed in their reveals like i think tattletale's a fan favorite and she's in the story but the way we did it we, we put her opposite of our characters which is a place that we're not used to her being and that's why it feels less fan servicey because it's it's at the it's her appearance is at the whim of the story, not at the whim of, did you want to see this character again? Yeah. I, th- I think in all cases, Wild Bo has, has sat down and been like, all right, what has, um, uh, you know, what has Vista been doing for all right. this time? Oh, okay. Well, it makes sense that she would have gotten herself involved with this hero group over here because that's kind of her thing. And, and then in this scene, it makes sense that she would come across Victoria and it's very organic. Everything has been organic and that's yeah. the main thing. And look, a little bit of fan service is okay. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not going to ruin the story. Right. If you just, if you just show off a character that, you know, people like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's just when it gets carried away and turns into that whole thing. And yeah, I think Ward has done a really good job at that so far. Yeah, I agree. Next, uh, another one from Calanero. What character from Worm that we haven't seen yet in Ward do you most want to catch up with excluding Taylor? Um, my first thoughts were, uh, 
Theo on on the one hand, and then Sophia on the other, and, and that's actually kind of a not serious because I actually <laughs> actually don't want to see her in the story because I like to just I, I like her being left behind by the story, and you know we just yeah. assume that she's you know spelunking off in the in in the darkness like like uh, Aisha said she would be. Um, but it would also be very like satisfying to see that that was true. Yeah. Well, and I wonder how that could reflect on what this book is talking about. Like there's, there was this real sense that Sophia just did not mesh with the world and therefore had to leave it behind. And I wonder if her returning to the story signifies something about the shape the world is in. That's That's interesting. Um, I said Theo also because I love him and I just want to see what he's been up to and how he's doing. Yeah, right. That's the main thing, because I think we've we remarked previously that we just at the end of Worm, we don't really know. We we know he's alive. I'm pretty sure we know he's alive, but we don't know if he's just like spiritually crushed by what happened or what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious what what is his state of mind is at, because, I mean, he he trained for two years with this this idea that if he fails, the world will end and the world ended. Yeah. (laughs) So I wonder how he's doing with that. Yeah. So next question, uh, again from Calinero, if Ward is going to have a big bad like Scion and Worm, who at this point do you think it's most likely to be? Um, you yeah. want to answer first? Yeah, you can answer this one first. Yeah, I kind of don't think it will have a big bad. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think if this if this is a story that we think it is, if this is about recovery and it's it's having to say something about how you recover from trauma, then I think oftentimes our trauma is not like taken the form of one big thing that we can conquer one powerful like thing that's like an encapsulation of all the bad things that have happened that we can just defeat and then we're better it's much more about small incremental victories and and progress and i think that would be very thematically fitting if that if there was no big bad if it was just a series of problems that our characters are going to have to face that are increasingly more dire yeah, I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense. All right, um, next one, last question from Colinero. What are you most looking forward to about Ward? And yeah, you, you go first. I'm really interested. I, I really want to see how Victoria continues to evolve. Um, that 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 conversation, that confrontation with Amy is always on the horizon. And I, I want to see what that looks like. And I think it's very important that she's in a better place when that inevitably comes. And uh, we've seen her make progress, but she's definitely still not there. So I'm very interested in seeing that. And the other thing I said was um, this idea of a cape afterlife we've kind of paid lip service to so far. I'm, I'm interested in, in what that looks like and, and how these themes of spirituality and, and what happens when you die and, and how it reflects on Rain's cluster and all that and seeing where that is explored in the story really into that. Yeah, totally. I agree with both of those. I, I put down basically like, I feel like I'm always learning about human psychology from, from reading these <laughs> stories. So, so learning more psychology, um, having some more crushing character moments that I can't possibly <laughs> anticipate at this point. Um, and of course, more wonderful poetic slash ironic power backstories for the characters. Oh yeah, it's uh, you, this book constantly makes you think that they, we can't come up with any new interesting ones, and then and then it does every yep. time. Yep, yep. All right, question. The next question is from Charlie, who sent this in via email, and he asks, "Who are the best parents in Worm slash Ward?" and um. 
of those people, what are the most common effective traits that Wildbow uses either positively or negatively to quickly signify what side of the line of good parent someone falls under? So Matt, who are the best parents in Wormboard? Are there? Yeah, are there I, best parents? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know of any like parents that I would that I immediately would say these guys are are really great. I mean, yeah. it's almost like the the characters are are usually in some kind of crisis mode and they're not thinking like, man, I sure am grateful to have my stable, <laughs> loving parents. So yeah, so. Yeah, I, I actually thought about it quite a bit and I couldn't think of any that I would just say like unambiguously. Um, but in terms of like the flags indicating whether someone's a good parent or not, I think it has something to do with, um, and I don't know if this is exactly the right word, but like the selfishness that that, that comes across in the character in contrast to like a, a parent who puts their child's needs first. And this kind yeah. of some gray area between those two because very often like Carol is a classic where she thinks she's putting Victoria's needs first, but <laughs> her sense of what's best for, for Victoria is, is pretty warped. So um, it's complicated obviously. Uh, but I, I feel like that's kind of the knob that does a lot of the work here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I agree with you. And I think the fact that there are not easily grabbed examples of good parents is intentional in the story. And I think part of what it's saying is, you know, <sighs> raising a kid who's been through the level of trauma that a lot of these these parents have or these children have been through is very difficult and um it's it's hard and you make mistakes like i think it's very easy to call danny a bad parent but um danny also was struggling with a a deck or a hand that he was dealt that not many parents have to experience um so I, I think I think we tend to write these people off too quickly because they do make big mistakes, big mistakes that hurt their children a lot. But I think that's part of what the book is saying. Yeah. And I mean, just parenting is intrinsically difficult. The parent child right, relationship right. is intrinsically full of conflict and the mistakes are the are the are tend to be the type that are only visible after like 15 years of hindsight. Right, so like right. good luck with that. Everyone. I do. I do like your idea of selfishness, selfishness as this big representative, because I think if you look back, the especially especially bad parents, like I think Danny, you could call a bad parent and then he makes a lot of mistakes. But I think his his heart is kind of always in the right place. He just screws up. But yeah, the, like the 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 clearly like you are a bad parent. Kenzie's parents, it all is all around um, who they're putting first. And it so often is themselves. Yeah, I think you're right cool uh constantine sends us a very nice email and asks uh, in our opinion what is ward saying about taylor skitter weaver and keffrey uh, that worm hasn't or wasn't able to how have the, how have the themes been extended into the new series this was a really interesting question um that i thought quite a, a bit on because as i think our next question asker also says there's this weird gap in everyone's um dialogue about the traumas they've been through that that does not include what taylor did um some of them probably don't remember it but i'm sure there's some of our characters that were aware it was happening right so but no one has talked about it like this has not been something that people have consciously talked about through the story and i do think that in order for them to get to a place where where recovery is possible what Taylor did is going to have to be approached in some way and dealt with. Yeah, it's only really been talked about obliquely, and um, the the most we we talked about it, I think, was actually in Glowworm, when yeah, when in, when Victoria sort of 
gives a little bit of a eulogy to um to Taylor um for for Madison's sake and 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 what that is really doing is it's casting Victoria's kind of mentality at the start of the story. Right. So we're learning more about Victoria than we're learning about like the world. Um, I, 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 it's a very thought provoking question and I wish I had like an answer, but I think I'm just going to say that it's productive to think about that one. My, my quick and dirty answer is this. Taylor thought that she could overcome her trauma by beating it into submission, um, by actively destroying the things that caused it. And this story very clearly represents a, a different interpretation from that, a, the way to recover from your trauma is is not by fighting it, um, not by bullying it, not by beating it up. Mm-hmm. And I think we can see that throughout everything our characters have done, um, how how the, the violence, the action is so often not the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and moving on to that next question, we're kind of going to transition right into it because Daniel also via email asks, um, I wonder how you think the trauma of Kepri is going to be dealt with during the recovery of individual characters, the team as a whole or the larger world in general. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but Matt, uh, you have anything for this? Yeah, just like my first thought, I guess, was that most people seem to be more traumatized by gold mourning and all of the, the, the loss of their world and their loved ones than by Kepri. I mean, yeah, they got mind controlled and and used and and maybe forced to do things and it was probably very disconcerting but we haven't really met any particular people whose main problem was with the being controlled part and not the massive loss of everything you love part yeah Um, but but maybe we will maybe we'll meet someone uh like goddess for example where you know she's got her own world out there presumably i mean we don't know what happened to her world but maybe it's fine and maybe she could just go back to it and for her the traumatic thing or the the damaging thing was being snatched by kepri and there may be a lot of a lot of people in that situation actually yeah um, so but but yeah like and and another thing that occurred to me was that i wonder how long taylor was in that state puppeteering people in the first place like how long did that event actually lasts and i realized yeah, it I could have been like an hour yeah i I realized I didn't know, and, and that made me wonder, like, well, okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I think I think the other reason it hasn't been brought up as much is because our point of view character, her trauma is so focused on um, a thing that happened before this and the transformation back into her normal self immediately after it. Mm-hmm. So the bad things that happened to her are, are so focused on those areas and so not focused on Kepri and gold morning itself that it's not something she thinks about very often. So, um, it it will be interesting. I think you're right that we're going to get some characters eventually who, who the main bad stuff that happened to them is tied to Kepri's control. I think it's bound to happen eventually, but yeah, that seems to be a, seems to be a don't ask, don't tell general rule around it right now because no one's talking about it. Yeah. Right. Uh, from, uh, ethical ham Jimmy. Is that, is that right? Anyway, sure. <laughs> uh, they ask, what what other characters do you guys, uh, uh, w- would we like to see, uh, would we have liked to see as the protagonist before we found out that Victoria was going to be the lead? Uh, for instance, it's fairly well known that characters like Aegis, Faultline, and Circus were all once considered to be the protagonist. What do you, uh, who do you think would work and who has the necessary complexity? Yeah, I think like uh, complexity wise, I think any character can be complex if you just draw them that way um like even the simplest character 
on the surface when you like when you're sat in their head could end up being really complex. You just didn't know it yet. Um, so I, I don't think we, we should limit ourselves just by, well, this, this character seems really simple. Uh, seems like they wouldn't really have anything to do or say or or any thematic uh, relevance to anything. But mm-hmm. once you get in their head, that whole perspective changes, I think. Yeah, I agree completely. What's what Scott said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and also before the story started, I for some reason had it like lodged in my head that Ward was going to take place hundreds of years in the future, like in, in a very different world and that mm-hmm. we, we weren't going to have the same characters. And so I was just not even thinking along these lines. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that would have, that would have been a, a completely different thing it would be tackling. And that, that could be an interesting story itself. Um, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I hadn't really ever thought of that. Um, I, I had a list, like I thought it could be Amy. I thought it could be Golem. I thought it could be Valkyrie or Lisa or any of these people I thought. Um, and I, like I said, I think at the beginning that I was like 50, 50 on whether it was going to be an old character, or a new character. And I see now why it had to be an, an old character because we're talking about recovery. So, yeah. um, we, we need someone that we're connected to through the previous story. Um, and I continue to think Victoria was such a clever, wonderful choice. Yeah, me too. All right. Uh, Executioner 404 from Reddit asks, where do you see the parahumans multiverse four years from now? Whether you want to imagine a happy ending or a different kind of status quo, or even a worse post-apocalyptic environment, I'm wondering what your own vision of the future is based on your extensive knowledge of the themes and setups of the story. So Matt, you want to try this one? Uh, Yeah, this ties into some other questions that we got where the, and and I guess I'm probably going to have to give a similar answer to, to those later too, but but it, it really it really depends on what um, the author wants to say with these mm-hmm. themes. Because and, and I think and we, we talked about this uh, yesterday, Scott. Like how the theme is recovery, but that's you can spin that any which way. Like right. the theme can be recovery dot 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 is impossible, you know, <laughs> and and all the characters completely face plant in their attempts, and and it just goes it just gets worse and worse and worse and is a tragedy, um, a tragedy of someone struggling to try to get better and failing, or, or it can be, um, you know, recovery is a slow, a slow grind. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. Um, it takes way more time than you want it to. Um, but you get there eventually and it doesn't look like you thought it would. I mean, really who knows? Like I, 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 I honestly can't just like look at even having, you know, read, each of these chapters multiple times, I can't just be like, well, this is the trajectory. I I can tell you the themes, but it could, it could really go, it could really still go any number of ways in terms of what is this actually going to look like in terms of an ending? Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, My, my guess is we're going to say very complicated things about recovery. Um, I, I think, I think, something you said that I immediately like honed in on was this idea of it doesn't look like what you think it's going to. And I think, I think that's likely where we're going to end up. It's this, this bittersweet realization that, um, the cost of recovery is so much greater than we thought it was. And, and the, the lengths that you have to go through and the things that have to happen to get there, how dark it has to get before you get there would be a very interesting way of exploring it. So, I mean, how that looks to a world, an entire world four years from now. Um, I think I don't see another, like, I don't see just like we're going to do another like post-apocalyptic cycle, but I do think like the status quo is going to be fundamentally shifted from where it is right now. And 
not in a way that any of our characters currently think it will be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I may have some thoughts that are sort of contextualized about things that happened in Twig, but I'm not going to say them here for obvious reasons. Yeah. That's cheating. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> um, next, um, unless you had any more thoughts. No, uh, no. no. For, from um, uh, EXE JPEG WMV. Do you guys think that Sveta is hiding something? Yes. I think everyone's hiding something, especially in this story. Everyone has something they're not sharing with the rest of the group. And I think Sveta's eager, unending optimism is a mask for some greater stuff that's going on underneath. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, And as I said in the Reddit, she's probably hiding chocolate. Yeah, which we all know what that means. Mm -hmm. We all know exactly what that means. <laughs> all right. Uh, this question is from Johnson, who says, given the increasing number of parahumans and the decreasing power normal power normal people have due to infrastructure breaking down, overall tech levels regressing, etc., how long will it take until society is ready to backslide into actual parahuman feudalism? I think we're, we're basically there. So what, two, two years? Yeah. <laughs> um, Given that the backslide into feudalism is probably inevitable, do you think a structured orderly change to this sort of society could save lives? What do you think about that, Matt? I think I, I don't necessarily want to take the premise for granted that we're that we're doing this thing that looks like feudalism where the right. capes are lords and everyone else is a second class citizen. Because, I mean, that's that's what Cauldron planned, but... It takes it takes a lot of things happening in the right order to get there. And one yeah. thing that keeps occurring to me, and I think the story is is shoving this in our face. I think that that's why it's occurring to me. It's not that I'm just <laughs> picking this out. Is that like the current the current paradigm, the way powers work is inherently chaotic. You've got mm-hmm. this outside force, this literally alien force, selectively empowering usually the humans who you would least want to be empowered. And continuing to do this over time, regardless of who is in charge at the moment, um, almost by design, continually disrupting the status quo. You know, e- even yeah. even without a a, a um, entity guiding the process, it's going to continue to be this way. So I don't think yeah. I don't think you can bet on any particular paradigm just being a, a great solution, unless it's unless it's really clever or or changes the rules in some way. Yeah, and I I don't think that like looking at the situation and saying okay we're inevitably going to get to feudalism. So we might as well do it now. And if everyone just accepts it, it'll be a peaceful transition to this because I think what worm showed us is that even when you go into that kind of structure with the best intentions, which is what Taylor has, it is still inherently chaotic, like you said, and it still will inherently break down and, and turn into chaos and squabbling and infighting and all this stuff. Like cooperation sounds great, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. I mean, just, just take an example. Like if people can't coordinate against the machine army, then, (laughs) then there's no Cape feudalism because there's no people. Right. So you have to have, you have to have some kind of coordination and that's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of it, like, I think one of the things that I want the story to do, and I think it's going to do is this, we're, we're talking about this conflict between Cape and, and human and how these sides aren't communicating with us. They're not sharing anything. And I think one thing that, that, that the characters in the story really need to do is understand that these people went through trauma too. Like, like a lot of capes, like Victoria especially looks at this idea of cape trauma and the things capes have gone through and say, this is unique to us. 
no one but a cape can understand what this is. No one but a cape can understand what we are. And we have to recognize that like the world ended, like the world ended and there are humans left in this world that yes, they don't have superpowers, but they went through horribly traumatic stuff too. So like we have to get together around the shared trauma that we all experience together. Yes. I know like you capes have been through some stuff and you're granted some power and, and you have this thing in your head pushing you to do things, but we all went through some shit and the only way to get through the post shit is, is together. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yep. Perfect. Um, okay. Next question from Joshua via email. Uh, what order do you think the remaining members of team breakthrough will get a big focus on? Uh, will Sveta be skipped because we got a lot of her in worm? Um, yeah. So what do you think is the order going to be? Uh, no, Sveta will not be skipped. Yeah. We got a lot of her in worm, but I think what the story is doing with her in, in this instance is, is very different from what we showed her in that story. So she's, she's an important cock in this whole recovery machine. Um, I feel like based on the setup we've done, Tristan and Byron feel like they're like, we talked last week, how they were coming to this, this, this make or break point. So they feel like they're next. And then Chris, I think is pretty close behind them judging by some of the things that he's going through. Um, but I also think Sveta is this, this thing in the background that could slip in in between any of these or before any of them, because she's the, the one that we know is very disturbed about this idea of things are getting worse and we're seeing things get worse. And that is something she seemed that she could not accept. Like she just was completely unwilling to do that, which is this, this unending positivity, this relentless optimism um, that we've seen her her have and how it's getting like whittled away as each new thing happens as as we descend into darkness a little bit more and a little bit more and and that could break her and it could come from nowhere because I think out of all these people Victoria is worried about her the least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you about Sveta and I agree with you about the order of the other two. So don't really have anything to add there. All right. Uh, this is also from Joshua, also via email. Uh, you have to wake up in either the DC live action movie universe or Ward. Which do you pick, Matt? Um, I uh, I think I picked the DC universe because you at least know that they're not going to literally destroy the world and kill everyone in a DC movie. Because, I mean, those movies may not be crowd pleasers, but they uh, I don't think they go that far. Whereas That's I true. have no such guarantees in Ward. So That's true. I... I picked Ward, Matt, because at least if I die horribly in the Parahumans universe, I'll know it was in service of a well-constructed and executed story. <laughs> well, Boom. That's, that's how Boom. we all like to live, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's good. Okay. Um, so next question from uh, Julio from, from an email is asking us, um, first of all, they assume that we're, that we're really knowledgeable about comic books, which I don't think oh, no. is accurate. No, he cites um, when I talked about Superman a okay. lot because the only comic book I'm really knowledgeable about is Superman because okay. I really like Superman. Yeah, I mean, I think we both read a, a smattering. Um, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't call myself knowledgeable. And then they ask us to compare and contrast superheroes and supervillains with um, with characters. You know, so basically compare a Marvel or DC superhero supervillain with its sort of archetypal counterpart in parahumans like. Taylor and Peter Parker or Victoria and Supergirl or Chris and Hulk. And I think that's, that's a, that's a pretty fun exercise. Um, but I don't know if we're going to be particularly uh, clever in, in that. 
Um, what what I will do, I, I think what we should say is listeners, uh, do this. I, I, I'm really interested to see what you guys come up with this. And and I think Julio and his examples here mostly picked uh, archetype matching by power set, right? Like mm-hmm. he, like Taylor and Peter Parker are not really character wise, very similar people, but their power sets match up. So maybe do a version of that. Um, I encourage you guys to try this because I'm really interested to see what you come up with and maybe do one that's more, uh, more like character focused, like which, which worm character trait wise is similar to which superhero yeah um, I, I like but the, i think we can speak generally yeah i like the one they pulled out bonesaw and and harley quinn because they don't have similar powers but they do have the similar like uh attitude and sort of role yeah. and, and harley quinn's i think one of the more complicated of the of the dc comic characters mm-hmm. um yeah yeah I, I was just gonna say like i i find that you have this a bit of an issue of flanderization with um with any with any marvel or dc character because they're usually characters who've been written by a number of people over a number of years yeah and there's their characters not only have they morphed and changed over time and been rewritten and, and whatever but they've just become more and more exaggerated in various ways uh and you can you, you know you contrast anything written by a team of people against anything written by one person who has a very singular vision which is what yeah. parahumans is and the contrast is going to be, well, bare humans, more depth, more nuance. You get to have a 10,000 word interlude chapter in this person's head <laughs> where very little fighting is happening, you know, and uh, it, it, it just gives you a completely different sort of, of character, I think. I think that's true. Um, and I think, you know, whenever you start talking about DC and Marvel, like we, Peter Parker, which Peter Parker, which version of Peter Parker from which author, um, they, they all have like you said, those same overlying traits, but each author writes them as slightly different. So mm-hmm. that is, it is tough to parse that down. Yep. Um, all right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll leave those to you guys. So, yeah. So next one, um, from Kaiken on the Reddit, what was your favorite example of descriptive writing in worm or ward? Uh, there was a lot of interesting takes back when the question was first asked, but they'd like to see our take on it. Oh, it's our own medicine, Matt. I know we deserve this. <laughs> what was uh, was your answer? Well, um, yeah, la- last time I actually copped out and I picked something from Twig, uh, which was oh yeah, which was great. Cheater. But this time I, I was just going to mention I like a lot of the of the writing in the dot interlude, and I don't know, I don't even know like which of it I would call descriptive writing because a lot of it is just um, describing the scene via the actions she's taking, mm-hmm. but but that is actually my like preferred way of describing a setting is like is not actually stepping back and and describing it in detail that there's obviously a place for that too and and i and i like that a lot but i just when 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 i read this question i couldn't stop thinking about the dot interlude i actually agree with that because there's a lot of authors that'll go out there like they'll walk their characters into a new scene and they'll kind of pause the action of the scene to pull back and set the stage um and I don't think Wildbo does that as much. He does like to do it as he's going. There's yeah. much less like pauses in the action to to digest what everything looks like and where every person is and what they're wearing. Um, that still happens, but it normally happens while the scene's continuing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it'll be like the, the only time, the only examples I can think of are like moments where it's like, all right, here's here's what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting to find out what this looks like. You go right. to the hangar with Eden. What is it? 
okay, we're going to describe it. Otherwise it would be a letdown. So sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think when I answered this, I said the opening of ward, uh, that, that opening sentence when she's, uh, when Victoria is describing the city and the gold color and how it reflects off everything and the, the, the wonderful imagery of that. Um, but man, I, I like your answer a lot. I really like that dot interlude. Um, I just actually like sat down for the first time in my life and, and read Joseph Campbell's, uh, the hero with a thousand faces. Like I've, I've dissected the hero's journey, like so much time throughout so many times throughout my life, but I've never actually sat down and read the book cover to cover. And I just did that. And it reminds me of how well-constructed Dot's little journey was, um, we, I mean, we, we made it comparisons to the hero's journey back when we analyzed it, but man, actually sitting down and reading the book, it just makes that all more, the more clear to me. And it's good, really good interlude. Really good. That's fun. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kayakin also asks in the process of making and publishing these podcasts, what would you say surprised you the most about any part of it? Script writing, community response, how going over the various media has influenced how you consume future media, etc. This is a really, really good question. Uh, Matt, you go first. <laughs> Man, um, in terms of like w- what probably surprised me the most was the community response. If I, if I have to pick something out of that, yeah, out of that list, I mean, something surprised me about virtually every aspect of it. Like if you told me two years ago or, or whatever how much time we'd be spending on these scripts and the fact that we willingly do it and enjoy it, then I would say you were crazy um (laughs) but 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 this back to the community response like um it's it's just been great and sort of like continually surprising even though we've now been doing this for quite a while um how positive and enthusiastic everything is and and even when there's argument it's it's always like we're trying to make each other stronger, you know, yeah. not shit on each other, which is very right. valuable and rare. I completely agree with that. I mean, like there's, there's so every week we have people respond to our thread saying, I don't agree with you on this, or I read this differently, or I think you're wrong here. And it's most like 99% of the time it's from a constructive place of, I just had a different interpretation of this than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not ever like you're wrong, you're stupid, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's so largely positive and, God, you guys have been so great. We, we talk all the time. I think we've said this multiple times that like we started this thing, just two guys just fooling around and we thought we were good at it, but we didn't have enough people listening to like get that feedback. So it has just continually surprised me how kind uh, you guys have been in your feedback to us. Like it's like it, it's it's a validation that it's really hard to get from like your family members that listen. It's yeah. it's it's right. really it's wonderful. Yeah, right. I like as far as the script writing goes, like we started as a we were writing essays and, and reviews and stuff, and I haven't been doing that in a while. And I, and I was trying to think of why, like I've, I've tried to sat, sit down and write reviews or write essays, and I've had some good ideas that I actually want to execute on. But I think one of the reasons why I, I'm able to continue my life is because so often the the script writing process feels like writing an essay to me. Like, I mean, you've seen the scripts, Matt, you know, sometimes I literally will write a one page essay on something I saw yeah. and I just stick that in my section of the script. And then I have to write like pause here for Matt's comment <laughs> to remind myself to stop going forward with my next thing. Um, so like, it's really like, I never thought that script writing would scratch a writing itch for me, but it really, really has. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's more than just, you know, you're, you're, 
you're solving very complex mental problems, which is yeah. a very fulfilling uh, task to do. And I, I, I'm continually surprised with like, I spent a lot of time, I, I'll read the chapter multiple times. I'll take notes as I go, but as I'm forming the script and as I'm forming my thoughts, the things that become clear to me as I'm doing that process is continually surprising to me in a good way. I'm like, oh, I just connected these dots mm -hmm. and look at this. It's suddenly clear and I don't know how I didn't see it before. It's it's so fun to do. Like yeah. this, we spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time on our scripts. And I think it's because of that, that the show is as as enjoyable as it is. Yeah, no, that's definitely worth underlining because you and I read it a couple times, talk about it. And we'll still both discover things while we're writing the notes <laughs> because that just puts you in a different frame of mind in terms of thinking about it that, yeah, that you yeah. you weren't in otherwise. And it's like, wow, I mean, it's yeah, there, there are some things where you're just like, how did I not see that the first time I read it? Exactly. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, all right. Next question from literally Bismarck. Have you guys considered changing the scheduling to allow you to discuss the most recent chapter? Scheduling is always a pain, so I understand if there are limitations. Um, but uh, the last week's episode, where we we, we dropped the episode on Friday, uh, seems to make a lot of sense to literally Bismarck. Uh, Scott, do you want to field this one? Yeah, um, we've. This is not the first time this has been asked of us, and I like I'm torn because I think part of this is obviously yes, scheduling. We have certain days we're free and certain days we're not. Um, part of it is maintaining consistent schedule. And we thought that, Hey, being one episode behind always is better than sometimes being caught up, but sometimes being behind one episode. I'm actually curious. Um, I might like throw up a poll on Twitter or something to see what the overwhelming response to this is, because I don't know about you, Matt, but maybe it might be possible to switch if like everyone's like, no, we think it would be a better show if you did it this way, especially since like, I thought, I think when we first assigned it, um, we thought Thursday shows are going to be a more often occurrence than they have been lately. Mm -hmm. um, so there just haven't been as many. So it might be something we could actually do that would make sense. Um, I'm not going to promise anything. I don't know. What's what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it might be worth a trial run of, of a few, yeah. you know, because a yeah. lot of it comes down to the, the prep time issue because, right. you know, a, a chapter comes out Tuesday and and Saturday and then we have until basically the following Monday and Tuesday to to do our prep for it. And yeah. if we kind of I'm, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty here, but if you shift that forward, it changes which days are available for prep, basically. And yeah, and that can I'm, kind of mess things up, actually. I mean, I will say that the episode will come out on Friday if we do this. Like yeah. it, it will. It, there's no way it could come out any earlier than that. And even that, like. It, it it would be a big change. It would mm -hmm. be a big change for us. And I don't know. We'll, we will see. Um, I, I had something good I was going to say and I just totally <laughs> forgot, but sorry. No, it's, it's okay. It's yeah. There's like, there's, there's a lot of hours that come. I mean, we were just talking about how much time we spend on the script and, and we need, we need a lot of, a lot of time. And I, I, I worry that like we shift to Friday and then um, Thursday episodes start coming out more regularly and suddenly the conversation is it wouldn't it be better if you got the latest episode or the latest chapter in, included in it too yeah like well we tried to do that right. and then it um so yeah i mean I, I i understand like there are times when you know we 
I know something big is going to happen in the next chapter. Like after the Kenzie stuff, like I knew the next chapter was going to be a Kenzie interlude. I had convinced myself even before I read it, I knew it was going to happen and I knew it was going to be big. And I was kind of bummed that I, that I joined the conversation on that interlude so late. So I get, I get why you guys like it. And it's just, it's just a dealing with scheduling. And it's also, um, as far as downloads go, Friday is like one of the least downloaded podcast days Mm -hmm. because people usually leave work early or they're off. Um, whereas Wednesday is like a big, like a a big day for us and, and across the podcast world, Wednesday is a big release day. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it motivates an experiment at least, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, basically we just can't talk faster than Weldo can write and that's never going (laughs) to stop being the problem. That's never going to stop being the bottleneck. So exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. All right. Next question from, uh, PETA in the discord asks, which pairing do you ship? Um, I quite like the Enterprise D with uh, the Borg Cube. I liked that one a lot. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Millennium Falcon is always, you know, Millennium Falcon yeah, and X-Wing like flying like oh, yeah. ta- in tandem. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah. I ship the hell out of those ships. Yeah, me too. All right. Um, Sald- Salt on Reddit asks, who do you think is a character that Wildbow didn't write well? Um. Should I just be on brand and say, Brian, like, <laughs> I don't actually think that, but yeah. I think, I think the most telling thing about this question is nothing jumped into my head the first time I heard it. Like there wasn't, there wasn't like a clear answer to this question. A lot of these questions, like which character, this, which character that, like something pops into my head right away. This one I sat with for a while and I was like, well, I mean, maybe I could a little bit, I complain about this person a little bit but there's no clear answer to this for me yeah i was gonna uh write rachel in the notes just to piss you off and confuse you um, <laughs> how dare you but um, how dare you no like i mean it's one of these questions where actually what it forces you to do is interrogate what you mean by write well and, and right. like i mean th- there may be cases where like i wouldn't have written the character that way but that's like absolutely a like so what <laughs> like yeah that's that's not why i'm not reading i'm not reading things to to see my thoughts reflected at me um sure uh, yeah if that makes sense yeah and it's like i can't i don't i don't want to answer this for any ward characters because i think it's tough to make that call until the story has reached its its zenith but um I'm I'm really not thinking anyone in, in Worm. I just like flat out said, this is not a well-drawn character. Like I don't, I don't believe, I mean like every one of them would be such a minor character that it didn't even matter. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't, I didn't particularly, I wasn't like ever super into Uber and late. Like I thought they were a punchline and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that doesn't hurt the story. They were bit characters. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that, I've seen people complain about characters who, were simply minor characters. It's like, well, they weren't written poorly. They were just a minor character. Like you can't, you can't expand every corner of the thing because (laughs) that's a fractally ever expanding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think I said publicly, I thought Accord was a poorly drawn character, but that changed as soon as I got to know him more. So I feel like that happened a lot throughout this book. Yeah. Um, Next from Seer Graug in the subreddit. What do you think the main characters, uh, for example, the members of the team, what are their arcs going to be and where do you think their arcs are leading them? Yeah, I think this was the connection back to that earlier question we were talking about where it kind of has a similar answer, right? 
Yeah, yeah, uh, similar, but but I like that this is focusing on the um, the characters individually, and and they do each have yeah. their own. You know, I'm not going to go through all of them off the top of my head, but they all have different thematic kind of keystones, and yeah. some of them could have bad endings, and some of them could have good endings or happy endings or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and and the the thing that's most fascinating about this team that Wildbow has constructed is that if we're, if we're going forward with this theme of recovery, then we have almost individual case studies, right? In in how different methods of trying to recover from trauma pan out. Um, like each person has a unique problem, and each each one has a unique way of facing their unique problem, and we get to see by those successes or failures um, what we're saying about recovery and what we're saying about how it's done and, and the best ways to do it and if it's even possible. And I think that's really cool. That's, the, that's the thing I like most about, about breakthrough is it, is it serves as these individual case studies. And we have in the middle of all of this, our, our protagonist, Victoria, who is probably going to have the most trouble getting to a state of recovery, getting to a breakthrough, um, who's who's trying to help these people and observing their successes and their failures mm-hmm. like yeah. the thing that always thing that always like resonates with me is when she watches this woman forgive rain and says i wish we all had a person like that mm-hmm. and like that is that is victoria acknowledging recovery in other people and how it's done mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i definitely i mean they're the perfect cast of characters for the themes of the story it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Almost as if they were drawn that way specifically right. to serve that function. Yeah. Yay. That's what writing is, guys. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, next, also from Sierra Grau, what characters have your opinions on changed the most as you learned more about them and their character arcs progressed? Yeah. Um, in this story, Rain, mm-hmm. um, I definitely was highly suspicious of Rain, thought that he was probably bad. Um, wasn't sure why, like how exactly, but he was definitely hiding something and being shady. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it was perfectly set up, like it was set up to be that way. And then you find out that he's actually, you know, this fairly tender hearted guy. And I mean, that's probably all going to blow back in our face in some horrible way to the per- I'm personality. Sure it will. Um, and then I also, you know, in terms of worm, there's nothing beats the, the bone saw uh, whiplash where you mm. go from thinking of her as just so horrible to kind of understanding where she's coming from and her being humanized. That's a good answer. Good answer. Um, can I say all of them? Sure. I think, I think the most wonderful thing about the story is that device that Wildbow uses where he, we introduce a character, see them through our, our protagonist point of view. And then we see how much that point of view has colored them when we jump into their heads and learn more about them. Um, I think that's some of the most fun I've had in this book. These, these moments of realization where you're just like, Oh, Mm -hmm. um, as far as specific, um, in this story in ward, I would say Ashley, Mm -hmm. um, just because she came off to me earlier in in the story, very much like a type of character that I don't like this kind of like, I don't want to say anime, but, but maybe anime, like, (laughs) like, like grim, dark, like, like, she says silly things, but in a, in an effort to sound cool and like, I could just imagine her doing like s- stupid poses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this, this type of archetype I, I usually don't really enjoy. And she's not been that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's morphed into something that I, I, I could not like, I, I want to go back and listen to my 
how I described her and talked about her when we first met her and how different that is from now because she has completely changed in my mind and she's one of my favorite characters in the story now. Yeah. Um, also in Worm, um, Emma was pretty good one. Yeah, good answer there too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree on that one. All right, next question again from Sir Grau. What are your thoughts on the benefits of the arc by arc coverage done in Worm versus the deeper chapter dives you do now? especially with regards to listeners following along serially versus those coming to the podcast later. Um, yeah, that's, this is something that we've, that we've talked about certainly. Um, yeah. Um, the short answer that I think we've given a couple times before is while I like having the, the room, the air to dive deep, deep into each individual chapter, like we're doing now, I do miss getting to see the entirety of an arc like an arc's thematic structure laid out in front of me. Um, there's, there's beats that you pick up on if you're doing it all at once that doing it piecemeal like this, you don't see the big picture as much. Um, and I, I miss that a little bit. Uh, the wrinkle in this that I most liked though, Matt, is this idea of, um, those coming to the podcast later, mm -hmm. because it, it hadn't occurred to me that two years from now, if someone starts listening to, we've got Ward, it's going to be a much tougher thing mm -hmm. because, it's much, it's a, it's a slower roll, right? Mm -hmm. It's instead of, instead of 30 episodes, it's probably going to be like 80 yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the format we have for Ward might not, um, might not work for binge listeners as much as I know people have gone back and, and, you know, started worm after we were already done with the podcast. And, um, that is much more binge friendly. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know some people who are, who are following along Ward and, and um, like behind the release of Ward and, and who are listening to these episodes as they come out or, or I, no, I said that wrong. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll read, they'll read however far they can read it in, in Ward and then they'll listen to our episodes and then they'll read more and then they'll listen more and they're, they're not actually trying to keep pace with what's being re released. Um, so I know that's, I, think I know some, at least someone's doing that. Um, yeah, but uh, I think that's probably the best way to do it under this this format. Yeah, um, you know, one one thing that I that's different for me, and, and and maybe not really different for Scott, or I guess it's different in a, in, a, in an opposite way, is that a lot of the I don't know, it was just a completely different experience for me doing it doing yeah. it before because because I knew everything that was going to happen, <laughs> and um and a lot of my excitement was the same excitement that you guys felt was was knowing knowing what was going to happen and. And Scott not, not knowing and, and it being fun. Um, and now we're all in the same place where, and, and again, unless you're coming back and listening to this later, um, none of us know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's, that's a very different, it's a very different thing. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are moments where I'm so glad we're doing the show this way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, there are also moments when I say, you know, from now on, after after board is done, we're probably not going to cover something live like this. You mm -hmm. know, like there, the, I think there, I have moments of on both sides where mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, as much as I'm enjoying doing this, and I think people are enjoying listening to it, there was something about our previous format that I think worked so well. And once this thing is done, the best thing to do is to shift back to that. Um, yeah, maybe with maybe with lessons learned and 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 changes that we can make to to improve that based on what we've done here but um but i go back and forth you know yeah i, I feel you I, I, we are I we are committed we're committed to finishing this thing we started it we're definitely going to finish it um but right. yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, next from Sir Grau. Actually, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's me, right? Yeah. I lost my place. Yeah. Uh, what process changes have you made? What are the process changes you made since the start of the podcast? What do you think worked and didn't work? Are you considering other changes to the style in the future? Um, to the start of from We've Got Worm to Ward, there have been a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about just Ward, I think you'll notice that the We Didn't Got Ward section uh, disappeared. <laughs> That wasn't just because we forgot to do it. Um, we basically found that when we introduced that, it just gave people like carte blanche to just nitpick yeah. us to death. Every, and every, we didn't think that yeah. was in service of the show. Everyone wanted to be called out on the we didn't get ward <laughs> section by yeah. telling us our mistakes. And it's like, you know what? Usually, usually the mistakes weren't that big a deal. So we're just gonna- yeah. if, if we miss something that's like big enough a deal that we think we need to bring it up. Um, in the next episode, we absolutely do that. Yeah. But yeah, I think having a, a section designed for it just encouraged a kind of uh, thing that we didn't want. Um, and so we we cut that out. Um, I really like the discussion question. Um, I think some of them are better than others. And, and we see that and how often you guys respond to them. But mm-hmm. I like that style a lot. Um, I think we've we've shifted around how much we spend on talking about the discussion question I think less is better because I think want to focus on what people come for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it's less, it's harder to describe actually, but we've iterated in very subtle ways in terms of how we um, go about talking about the chapters when it, it may mm-hmm. not even be something that's detectable. Um, but, but a lot of it is, is especially toward the beginning of the worm podcast. I would just, I would just write these like very detailed summaries of everything that was happening. Yeah. And then Scott would talk and then we would talk about it. We would discuss it. And then I would go to the ne- next paragraph, detailed summary of what was happening. Now it's more like, I just kind of like lob a softball of, of like a couple sentences of what's happening. And then we, and then the, dis- and then via the discussion that ensues, we bring up all of the stuff that's happening in the scene. And then we move yeah. on to the next bit, which is kind of cued by a couple of sentences rather than a detailed description. And I think, I, I think that that's, that's more fun for a discussion, first of all. And I think it also makes her a little bit smoother listening. Yeah. I think it flows a lot better than just, um, I think you listen to some of those early episodes. It's very clear. Matt finished his line. Then I did my line and then Matt did his line and then I did my line. And and I think that's a lot more obvious. This mm-hmm. is much more of a discussion and, and it's the, the, the in those early worm episodes, you would pull stuff out and I would trust you basically mm-hmm. and say, okay, if, if he didn't mention it here, um, I'm not going to bring it up or, mm-hmm. or it's not worth talking about. But I think now if there's something that you didn't specifically mention in your write up, I pull it in and say, no, I want to talk about this. So there's a lot more moments in this where you hear me say, but before we move on, I just wanted to touch yeah. on this thing. And it's because there was something that I had something to say um, and I wanted to talk about. So I think it's a lot more, whereas you kind of led the discussion, I think this is a lot more collaborative. And I think it stems from the fact that we're, we are both experiencing at the same time. Yeah. But I think we can take that lesson and take it back to another format where one of us knows more than the other and still make it a little more collaborative, even though one person is is probably driving the conversation a little more. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, All right. Next. Next. This one. (laughs) 
Okay, so this is which one is it? Which one are we on? <laughs> we lost our place, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I think we're on 25 right here. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah. So, which of the uh, from from Shinichi on the Reddit, which of the entire parahuman cast of Worm slash Ward do you think would make a somewhat decent or even good parent? Ah, this yeah. <laughs> and they have their suggestions, which are uh, Dragon Chevalier and Miss Militia. Yeah, which I think are just like the nicest ones. Yeah. Um, again, like the, the previous parent question, this was, I nothing like jumped to mind, especially from a parahuman perspective. I think, I think Chevalier is probably a fair answer. He seems like a really kind person that I generally cares about people. You know, like I think about legend and how he handled kid win and how he helped kid win. And, and legend's certainly not a perfect person at all, but I thought the way he kind of, was a mentor to kid win in a moment of need was pretty commendable. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think he is a father also. So that yeah, that's sense. true. He is actually a real yeah. life father. Yeah. Um, my, my answer was, um, Dennis, uh, because oh. he can put them on timeout. <laughs> well done. Um, but also, also See, Matt not- just put, Matt just put Dennis in the notes and did not put why. <laughs> so that was a, a surprise for me. That was actually a, that, that I only saw the joke later. I chose Dennis just because of in his interlude, we saw what a selfless, caring person he is. Um, and if he wasn't dead, he'd be a great dad. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we move on to stuck in Reddit factory, who is also, I think a bird in, uh, in our discord chat, um, who asks you've been doing, we've got ward almost as long as we've got worm. How do you feel about the format shift in retrospect? How, if at all, would you change how you did either? Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit already, but I feel good ish. Um, I like the show we're producing right now. I think it's really good. I think our episode last week, we both agreed was one of our better ones, which some was something I think surprised both of us because like the three chapters we covered last week were not like big momentous, like, huge things are happening chapters. Um, but I think we distilled out some great stuff from them. So I think we're, we're doing some of our best work. Um, would I change how I did? We've got worm. What the stuff I did in there, I think I would say yes to some stuff. I don't know about you. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think, I'd have to think for quite a while about, cause like I'm, I'm really happy with we've got worm as a, as, as a thing to yeah. have put out there in the world. Um, but there are certain, like, especially seeing how people reacted to it, which is obviously cheating, um, to, to <laughs> sort of like know what the legacy of it was. There are certain things that I might've de-emphasized or, or emphasized more. Um, you know, that maybe there were people I would have paid more attention to or, or yeah. less. Um, yeah. I think I, I agree with that. And I think we're going to have a question that I was planning on answering. So maybe I'll save that. I, my short answer, I'll get into this a bit in a, a future question. But my short answer here is, um, I don't think I did as good of a job of making clear the delineations between me showing what my personal reaction to an event was versus me analyzing what I think the book was saying. And I think there were times when I did both of those things, but I did not make the delineation between those things as clear as they should be, which is why I, we saw a lot of comments in relation to uh, the whole you're being unfair to Taylor thing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's my bad. And it's something I think I've tried to make clearer in this show. And I think I've succeeded at that. Yeah. I, that's a good way of, it's a good way of putting it. All right. Yeah. 
in, but you know, in the end, we're also very small. Yeah. Um, all right. So <laughs> now I'm sad. We're talking about regrets and would we have done things differently? Yeah. All right. So yeah. uh, next from Stuck in Reddit Factory, who do you think is the better protagonist, Taylor Ooh. or Victoria? Bringing out the big guns. Yep. It's a big question. So give a few answers. Uh, so uh, they point out that you can give answers with different contexts, like who do you like the most as a person, as a character, as a as a hypothetical tape, tape version of yourself or a teammate or a rival or at a different oh, stage of their career. I mean, it's kind of interesting because they kind of deconstruct the question for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think? Um, again, this is something that's hard to say. I think I like Taylor as a protagonist better right now because I've seen her journey and I've seen her story completed and I know where it ends. Um, I think Victoria is a fascinating character and I love how she approaches things. And I love one of the things I, I love most about this book is how the structure of the story is matching Victoria's like mindset. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, is we see like we talked about this in, in we've got worm a lot at how Taylor's point of view colored her entire interaction. And I think that the, the sign of a good writer is that you can do that and transfer that to a new character. And it's the same general idea that Victoria's point of view colors her interaction with the world. But because her point of view is so different, we, we see that it's a completely different color and it's a completely different reaction to thing and, and her approach to every interaction, every fight, every uh, verbal conflict, everything is just is different because she's a different person. And I think that shows a skill in the writer where they can take that central idea that, Hey, point of view, first person point of view, uh, can change how you perceive the story that's unfolding. But he, but to do it with a, a character that's so different is like almost testing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I think he's succeeded in, in, in these tests against his own ability. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I don't have a, um, I mean, I, I agree with your your analysis. I don't think I would. I don't. I don't. I don't even. That, that's the thing. You can't use the word better without contextualizing it. Like better. How, how do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, Taylor engaged our sympathies a lot more, like uh, you know, mm -hmm. viciously. I'll, I'll say by by being the subject of bullying, which is something that everyone can relate to. Um, yeah. You can't relate to being made into a blob, although you probably <laughs> you may have something in your past that allows you to like abstractly relate to that. Um, yeah. But but like that doesn't mean Taylor's better. That just means maybe she's easier to sympathize with. And that's just one, uh, you know, one facet of of many different facets where they differ. Um, yes. So yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting to think about, but I don't think it needs an answer. <laughs> I will. I will say that I think Victoria is drawn to be slightly less likable. Mm hmm. And I think that's an intentional thing. Like, I think I see a lot of people saying, well, I don't like her. She's like, she's up on her high horse and she, um, is, is pretty like over the top and dismissive of a lot of people. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I agree with you, but I think that's intentional. Like, mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's part of what we're exploring with the character. And, and you're right that Taylor was this like downtrodden, um, bullied, person that a lot of the people reading the story can very much relate to myself included. Victoria was a very popular person who, um, was with a, a wildly successful family and she 
had this, this successful Cape career. Like she was always going to be this, this star. Um, and then all this bad stuff happened to her. So she is someone that is, is, is difficult to relate to and, and has many different aspects of her personality pushing and pulling at her. She's got the old glory girl and who that person was and, and how that colors her perspective. And she's got her trauma and how that is so all encompassing that, yeah, sometimes she doesn't notice stuff that goes on around her. Sometimes she doesn't emotionally react to other people's trauma as much as she should because she's so delved in her own shit. And that's to me, completely designed in the character yeah yeah completely i agree and and maybe you just don't like that as much and that's fine i i find it fascinating though yeah right and 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 it's like well yeah no i mean you're you're right that it's not a likable character trait but but yeah i don't think that characters are there to be liked yeah so yeah. so i don't care about that and i think yeah i mean taylor was so liked that i think some people missed some of the more troublesome aspects of her personality. Right. Um, whereas they're, they're a little bit more front and center with a character you don't identify with as much like yeah. Victoria. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. Um, what classification, this is also stuck in Reddit factory. What classification of power would you want? None isn't an option. If you lived on pre golden morning bet post golden morning Gimmel, that earth where powers are common as on bet or earth as is. Um, my answer is still mover do all the above, um, (laughs) because it would be the most fun. It's the one that least interferes with my thoughts. Um, and also would allow me to run away from, uh, the megalopolis as fast as I could. Well, there you go. And to like hide in a corner world. Yeah. And that's why I pick stranger for all the above so I can hide from all the terrible shit. Yeah. There we go. Good point. Yeah, you'd probably be. Yeah, no, that's that's a great that's a great answer. <laughs> um. So again, stuck in a Reddit factory. How many people have you personally convinced to read Worm, and why isn't that number higher? Well, Matt, I feel like you win on this one because one of them's me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't actually know what my personal number is. Um. I mean, at least one. <laughs> there you go um i have two i have my friend sammy and uh james gentry who's been on our, some of our other podcasts before who actually just finished spec today and sent me a very long <laughs> gmail message um about it and he's like okay so here's my immediate thoughts but i need to sit you down and talk to you later <laughs> and i'm like or you could just play my podcast yeah. and talk i talked all about it but he's been listening along too he's just a little behind on the podcast part but um yeah so at least two um I don't, and hopefully more. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if I can count Michael or if, or if Daniel convinced Michael to read it. It's but, probably Daniel. Yeah, probably. But da- I mean, Daniel's Daniel's the father of us all. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Um. Okay. And lastly, uh, stuck in Reddit factory says, "How do you feel about the following theory? Privacy and autonomy are ward are to world ward what bullying and cooperation are to worm." Uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, he, he wrote a big long post about uh, taking each one of our, our breakthrough characters and showing how both privacy and autonomy are uh, aspects of both their trauma and their their character. And I thought it was pretty convincing, I thought. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, man, like, like cause I, it's really interesting that like autonomy and cooperation are almost they're almost opposites. They're not really true. They're, they're connotationally different things. But yeah, but one of them is insisting that you have 
the right to be left alone, if you will. And the other one is insisting on the importance of not being left alone. So, uh, yeah, that's fun. Hmm. Yeah, that is true. I hadn't thought of it that way. Cool. Yeah. It's an interesting theory. I think that's something we'll pay attention to, uh, going forward and see if it, it, it continues to line up like that. Yeah, no, the, the autonomy thing is very important to Victoria. And now that you've pointed sure. that out to me, I, I definitely want to like bring that up more often. Yeah. Cool. So, um, next from, uh, let's see, user wild bow, wild bow. Hmm. It's a weird name. Um, asks out of worm and ward, what character would you like, uh, would you say you like that you didn't think would be on the list of the top 25 or even top 50 most popular characters? Why? <laughs> See, Wildbow did this thing where he made his questions like 20 times harder by, by adding little clarifications to them. Yeah. So it's not just a character you like, but one that's unpopular that you like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Scott? Man, I don't know. I like your answer. <laughs> My answer uh, is, is the bat biker. <laughs> because, because like, just as soon as we met him, I was like, I bet this guy has a cool backstory. And then Victoria le- leaves him in a tree and I just want to know more about how, how bad bikers do it. How did he get out of the tree? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good one. I'm going to say scrub the guy with the terrible Cape name. I like that. But a guy who I was always really interested in him and his power and he ends up being so key to everything, but, um, we just don't really see a lot about him. I, I like skid Mark simply because of his like outrageously profane, way of speaking which would never fail to entertain me you reminded me of him by mentioning scrub that's fair that's fair speaking of unpopular characters yeah all right then wildbow goes on to ask i'm just realizing now that i put this as widbow in uh my (laughs) sheet so i just missed an l for some reason um what characters would you smack across the back of the head if you had to pick one um which ones that you don't think would be the general community's top five or top ten uh, I guess of smacking in the back of the head. So Matt, um, who would you smack? So the one, the, the first pick, which would probably be in the top five or top 10 would be Kraus. Um, Cause he just <laughs> like needs that. a little bit of head smacking and just, yeah. just like, Hey, you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of um, programming up there in your head. That's making you, that's causing you to make some bad choices. Let me just sit you down, explain some things to you. We can get through this. It's going to be fine. Um, and then the the one that I, uh, I I kind of had to reach for it to find someone who needed a smack in the head but wouldn't go in the top ten would be Number Man, <laughs> um, and I say that specifically because he he has his like he, he has his like ethos, but it seems pretty flimsy. Like he's he's mm-hmm. he. I'm afraid he might be the kind of guy who thinks he's really smart because his power basically cheats and makes him smart. But actually he hasn't really thought things like I always think about when he, you know, he defeated the guy in the cauldron base and the guy was chastising him for being immoral and number man's like, ah, morals. And it's like, (laughs) it's like, now that's like, really, really, that's your, that you're dismissing the idea of morals. Number man. Kurt, is it? You get a head smack for that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's a good answer. Um, I cheated and said everybody. Okay. All right. Well, but see, I think one of the things about about storytelling and about reading is that 
dramatic irony always gives you kind of, you always have a leg up on your characters, right? You always generally kind of, not only do you sometimes know more than the characters know, but also you're seeing this from a, a kind of removed perspective. Like you're not living the event with them at the time. You're kind of watching it unfold at your own pace. So there's a, there's a general air of authority that that grants you. And it kind of makes you like look at what your characters are doing and just going, come on, man, come on. Um, and it's like, like I've done that with just about every character. Like I did a lot with Taylor, uh, much to the chagrin of some people. Um, Victoria has moments where I'm just like that too. Uh, both their parents had moments where I was like, just guys, guys, just stop. Um, I think, I think the way Dinah chooses to handle things sometimes makes me go like, I know she's doing her power and stuff, but like, I just like, there's gotta be a better way of having this information than like some words on some scraps of paper. It's going to be a better yeah, way to do this. No, apparently not, Scott. Apparently not. Yeah. It's the only way. It's the only way. Yeah. I mean, Damn. like even, you know, the smack on the head thing, you could say like in Kenzie's interlude, we're very often like cringing and like, no, no, don't do it. And that's yeah. sort of a form of like, you know, sure. Don't, yeah. Don't do it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. Maybe Gary. Smack Gary on the head. Yeah. That's a good Gary, one. Gary, stupid racist. Knock it off. It's a good one. Okay. Next from Wild Bo again. Uh, what do you guys think the biggest general level disagreement or perspective difference is between you two when it comes to the story? This was hard for us, Matt. Mm-hmm. I think he designed this to be hard for us. Um, yeah. The only thing that I could really attach onto is is one of the, I wouldn't say the most contentious arguments we've had, but one of the things where I just don't think we were able to see eye to eye at all was the different ways we interpret the concept of of free will and determinism um, and how your view of it is basically the exact opposite of mine. Um, I've gotten to a place where I like understand exactly why you feel this way. And um, I can't like, it's very difficult to refute your opinion because I think it's well-founded and well-argued, but I just, I just don't, I don't don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without, without getting into the actual discussion and, and staying meta over it, it, it's, it does influence a lot of things because I think we probably, because of that, we have different attitudes about issues as far ranging as like guilt and punishment and yeah. culpability and and redemption, like even redemption and responsibility. And, and like, I think a lot of it washes out because um, there's a phrase that I'm, that I'm probably abusing by using it in this context because it doesn't quite apply, but basically it all adds up to normality Mm-hmm. Um, which means like your, your, your esoteric weird explanation for how the universe universe works still has to add up to what we experience as normal. And, and, and even though I don't think humans have free will, I also am capable of having this conversation with you without like having to have all kinds of like <laughs> circular thoughts about the fact that I have no idea what process is actually originating these sounds coming out of my mouth. Um, yeah, because it doesn't really matter. It turns that's out that's true. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's definitely one where there's. I think like under the hood, there's disagreement, but then it ends up not mattering a huge amount. I think, and maybe this is more like in story in in story disagreement. Like I, I genuinely am like more suspicious of certain characters. It's not always <laughs> a joke. 
Um, That's true. I mean, yeah, you, I think every time you bring it up, we play it off as a joke because it's funny. But I think there's a, a kernel of, no, I'm seriously suspicious of this character. Mm-hmm. In that, yeah. Yeah, but that's not really a disagreement. That's just like, oh, no. you don't you don't see that? Okay. No. I do think the free will stuff colors uh, how much we emphasize things like mm-hmm. uh, the Seamurg, um, Dinah, um, the Contessa, their powers, um, and, and the weight we put on those because, like, those don't necessarily mesh with my worldview, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think I have this, like, in my analysis, the importance of those elements are kind of downplayed. Um, even though I, I recognize they do have effects and, and matter to the story, um, it's just like how it actually shakes out is, is probably a little bit different in my mind because of this, the, the, the disagreement about free will. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've even probably discussed these things when they came up so. in the past. Yeah. So. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, on the flip side, <laughs> while Bo also asks us, what are the biggest non-general specific disagreement or perspective differences between the two of us when it comes to the story? Yeah, I guess we just kind of covered one um, sort of. Yeah. But I think the other is how much you get into the, the, the terrible things that happen to people. Yeah. Like, like, and it's not, not to say that I don't enjoy them. Like I love horror movies. Like I love kind of being grossed out and scared, but like, I don't know. I think you enjoy the reactions they give you more than I do. Yeah. There's definitely a, a, like, something some, like, like the bone saw interlude where she's doing these horrible things and you're you're learning horrible things and it's all horrible like mm-hmm. the, on the one hand i'm experiencing that correctly as horror but on the other hand i'm like delighted that <laughs> that this is working on me and, and, and that i've like found this excellent example of of horror and i want to like or just anything that makes me feel something frankly it can be good yeah. or bad um it usually it gives me that it gives me that and maybe other people are like this and, and let me know if you are but like i'm on the one level just reading it and enjoying it and on the second level sort of like noticing that it is really awesome and and that it's affecting me strongly and enjoying yeah. that separately yeah. from whatever the other emotion is yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And also, I think we both disagree about whether or not Taylor's dead. No, I'm, yes. just, I'm just kidding. Taylor's. She's, to- she's totally dead. She's not, not she's alive. She's totally dead. She's, she's totally dead. She's totally fine. <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, I think that is legitimate disagreement, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't actually think I believe she's dead. I don't know. I, I go back and forth. Um, I think, I think one of the reasons why this works, though, is that we don't have a lot of like really fundamental perspective differences and and like you and i were talking about this question earlier today and it, it basically got down to like sometimes we interpret the scene slightly differently but then it's like we share our interpretations and we might not, not always agree on it but it's like yeah i can see where you got there and i'm not going to tell you you're wrong um i might have a slightly different idea of what that means but uh, it doesn't mean we have to fight about it well yeah and, and very often we are legitimately like oh maybe i'm wrong because right. i mean it's it's a book. I, I've legitimately had moments in the recording sessions where I'm just like, oh, I interpreted this thing completely wrong. And I think that because you have convinced me that your interpretation of it is a better one. Yeah. Um, and, and vice and, versa. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, next question from. Woodbow. Woodbow. Once again, uh, which characters would you most like to hang out with or introduce to your friend group? 
<laughs> is none of them an option? This, yeah, no, like we, ser- we we were talking about this before the recording. We were like, why is this so hard? Like we both spent <laughs> so much time on this one. And, and and like my my explanation to myself was like, well, all of the villains are bad people. Mm-hmm. And most of the heroes are like really, really serious people, really joyless people. Yeah. Um, so like and even even the people who you yeah, I don't know. They're they're all kind of messed up. And I don't I don't know if I can think of any I mean, you never want to be that guy that like brings a friend to a party and he's like super awkward the whole time yeah or you know like i was gonna say like and and for the first few scenes we meet sprite he kind of just seems like a a, a easygoing guy and then he turns out to be a dick yeah so, totally so i don't even trust I would my own feel, judgment feel really bad about that my um, my cheating answer would actually be sylvester uh, from twig I, okay i would i would love to hang out with sylvester well that means nothing to me give him a hug i mean like some of these people i'd like to hang out with but i wouldn't like Bring like I want to be like, hey Alec, come to my friend group and and fuck them up royally. <laughs> yeah, good point. All right, um, we kind of cheated on that, but that's okay. Yeah. Wildbo also asks us, did the works change your perspective about anything? Yes. Yeah. You go first, Matt. I mean, um, my man, lots of stuff, but I'll focus on like more recent. More recently, Ward has kind of like given me a bit of a a kick in terms of my feelings about like forgiveness and, and like the value of asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. for, for things that you've done wrong. And I, that which wasn't even something that was really something I thought about. Like, like, should I ask for forgiveness for things that I've done wrong? Like, well, it seems sort of obvious when you put it that way, but it never seemed like compelling that I actually should do it for any good reason uh, until I spent enough time in Victoria's head. And and now I'm like, I've, I'm much more likely to um, not that that kind of thing happens very often. Cause I don't think I do a lot of terrible things very often. Yeah. What are you doing, Matt? Yeah. Well, just, just like it makes me more prone to thinking like, Oh, did I do something wrong? You know, did, 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 did I do something where I should consider that I need to, that, that I need to, I, forgiveness might not even be the right word. Just like Victoria's sort of mindset of, um, of of keeping track of whether she's wronged anyone is something that I think has has rubbed off on me. Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Um, and I've noticed that myself too. I, I think I think the power of forgiveness is something that the book has kind of touched on. Um, that's why I think the scene with Rain meant so much to me on a personal level. Um, this, this idea that giving forgiveness is this powerful thing that you have. Um, and and it, it makes me realize that the importance of in my life, like handing that out, but also the importance of seeking it. Um, and like, I think, I think in anything you, you do, like any, any bit that you're wronged or that you've wronged other people getting to that point is very important. And I think the the book has has shown me that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, my answer is around, like, I think being in, in Taylor's head for as long as I was cued me in on some tendencies to justify and rationalize in myself, um, in interactions with other people, the stuff that I'm doing and how I can convince myself that something 
I normally would not find was okay is okay in this case because X, Y, Z. And I think, I think just reading the story made me so much more aware of how I approach conflict and interactions in my life and areas in which, um, I need to get better at that. And I think it has improved my ability to do that. Um, but there, I mean, like that's one aspect of a book that has fundamentally changed the way I, I see a lot of different things. Um, the, the, really the the hard focus on a real gray morality in this book really challenged my moral senses and i don't think i like my morality has completely shifted but i I do think it was challenged a lot through this book um and i i do still think that we interpreted what the book was trying to say about some of these choices but definitely on a personal level there were moments where i was like convinced 100 percent that this this was definitely the wrong thing to do and the book says well are you sure about that are you sure are you really sure um, and I thought that was pretty great that yeah. I could do that. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, all right. Next one from Wildo again. Are there any gaps, plot arcs, or setting elements that you wish had been filled in differently? I said, and I think we said this when we were talking about it, um, when the Undersiders, when Taylor particularly like took down the dragon robots, um, I just, I didn't like... I didn't like a lot of the actual execution of that, how that all played out. And I would have liked to see that like fleshed out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm someone who actually like tantalizing world building bits in the background, not being filled out. It just makes me feel like the world is bigger. Yeah, Um, that's fair. So just like related to like setting elements being filled out. I I never, I never want more. I'm always, I'm always like, yeah, no, that's perfect. It, it, It lets me imagine things. Um, you know, and I, 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 regarding the plot arcs, like I remember being frustrated with the slaughterhouse a lot arc the first time I read it. Um, but that did not, that, that was not true on the subsequent rereads mm-hmm. and, and when we did it in, in we've got worm, um, I just, I had a completely different opinion about it and I'm not, I haven't, I'm only kind of now realizing that now that I'm answering this question and I'm not entirely sure why other than the obvious answer that i knew where it was going um but yeah no yeah i don't know i i I think i could see that i mean there's something like it's this first of all we're seeing some of the same characters you've already seen and there's this like it's it's a lot of like very quick escalation but it's a lot of jumping from place to place to place so i could see how that could be less than satisfying i mean i i enjoyed it I, i felt like there was this real ramping up uncontrollably that made it just a joy to read but yeah i I could see that there's just there's so much awesome stuff that happens in there that it almost confuses me that i that i would have remembered it like if you had asked me after the first read i would have been like oh yeah that was the weakest part and i'm like well no (laughs) no actually so yeah i don't know i still retain that the time skip works very well Mm -hmm. and i still really like it and in fact one of when i talked about how i have essay ideas one of the things i want to write about is like an in-depth deep dive analysis of the time skip and why i think it's as effective as it is mm-hmm. um even even more depth than we covered on the podcast so hopefully fingers crossed i'll get around to taking time on that because i really want to dive into the text and spend some real time on on why exactly it works for me yeah that'd be awesome because it's pretty it's pretty controversial from what i've gathered mm-hmm. all right the second to last question from Widbo. Much like a serial, your podcasting journey doesn't allow much revision or editing of the past entries. Is there anything you'd wished you'd done differently from the start or that you regretted in retrospect? 
Yeah, this was the question I was talking about when I said we'd cover some of this stuff later, earlier on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, I love all the people that listen to this. I think they're all great. Um, I think there was a a vocal minority of people that had a lot of lot of problems with some of our interpretations of things. And I think we generally responded to too many of those people on the podcast. Um, if I had to go back and do it, I would not have spent as much time in the recording arguing with some of these people. I think that was a mistake. And if I could go back, I would not do that again. Yeah, because, I mean, not only did it use up a lot of airtime and was repetitive, but I think also it um, did not really convince the people who who weren't open to being convinced. So, yeah. And, man, this, that even sounds wrong the way I said it, because, like, I wasn't... I don't think I even wanted to convince anyone. I was just trying to stake out my interpretation. But. Right. I mean, like, there's, I think there were there are two different types of disagreements with what we did. One of them was just, I don't think your interpretation's right. And that's fair. And I, like, I, my argument was made via the podcast. I don't mm. want to relitigate that argument. Right. Um, the other was uh, arguments saying, you are presenting yourself as doing this a certain way. And here's why I think you're not doing it that way. And those were the arguments I really, really got into because I, I vehemently disagree that, um, with, with people that say that we were, um, letting our own biases completely color everything. And we were, um, just like being moral arbiters of this whole world. I I just, I don't think that's what we were doing. And those are the people I got dragged into fights with. And that was the people we, I think we fought with too much on air. Yeah. And, and when you reference like, um, us, us both doing a better job at separating when we're making a personal claim of, like oh that was that was a bad choice versus versus an analytical claim about what the story is saying right where we where we failed to make that distinction was where we fell down basically because yeah. it was genuinely un- unclear probably for yeah. for a lot of people so. yeah i completely cop to that and that is i hope i hope people listening to this show um agree that we've done a better job at at, at drawing that line mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're, we're definitely trying to, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, all right, last question from, from Wildo. Are there any characters your opinions have changed on given time or reflection, not necessarily just from reading about uh, more about them? Yeah, so I think this was like a an add-on to Sear Grau's question about how our opinions changed based on the reading. This is just, have you sat with characters and your opinions changed on them? So my answer is Amy. I... I, I Amy is one of the characters that I struggle with the most, Matt. And it's not even, again, it's not even because anything in the text, because I just go back and forth on how sympathetic I am to her versus how angry I am for, for what she did. And I go back and forth on that. I think someone called us out, um, in an earlier episode, you said that the, one of the worst things Amy did was turn herself in and go to the birdcage when way back in worm, I had said that I think she made the right decision there. And I think I changed my mind on whether that was good or bad. Like on the one hand, it's taking responsibility for your actions. On the other hand, it's running away from your responsibilities. And she's just a character I go back and forth on constantly. And the more I think about it, the more conflicted I am about her. And I think that's kind of intentional. I don't think we're supposed to have a clear read on Amy, especially in the story that we're in right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think I'm, 
more sympathetic to Amy than the average um, reader, perhaps. But my mm-hmm. my answers were actually, I, it was funny. I wrote down these names before I realized what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but but the pattern was Taylor, Brian, Lisa. Um, I, I didn't I didn't write Rachel because I think that I actually got a beat on Rachel and I think Mm -hmm. I actually got a beat on Alec from the start and they didn't really change too much. But like the, the, the difference in Taylor, Brian and Lisa on a first read through versus second read through versus doing an in-depth podcast on the show made me think of these as three very different characters. And it wasn't, you know, so, so to clarify, like it's, it's not just, it's not just that like by the end of Worm, I had a different read on Brian. It's that it took me a whole second read through to really to really get that second uh, yeah. to, to get that new new read on him. Yeah, I think hmm, I like that a lot. I think that's a great answer. And it's not it's a perspective I can't have since I've just read it the one time. So mm-hmm. I like that because because you because so much of what you know about Brian and Lisa, for example, is like some is like a, a put on that they that they're showing Taylor toward the beginning and then by the time you really know them a lot of the story has passed and it and and then when you yeah. go back and you read it again you see oh this this was actually Lisa doing this thing she's actually terrified here or or what have you yeah um, yeah i wonder like uh, there's a good conversation to be had and maybe we'll do an episode of our, our regular podcast about this one time about the idea of rereading and rewatching and redigesting material you've already experienced once, because like we live in a world where there's so much entertainment being thrown at us. Like we're never going to read all the books that you all the books are not going to be read, but there is value to revisiting something you've read before or you've seen before you take something new away from it each time you do that. So, um, I'd hate in this new world of media to, for people to not get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll reread things. And swear that I just never read that particular paragraph <laughs> the first time, you know? So, Well, sometimes you might not. I mean, sometimes for whatever reason, as you're reading along, you, you jump a paragraph or jump a page yeah. and don't really even notice yeah. it, or do that thing where you zone out for half a minute and realize you've been reading, but haven't been reading. Right. It happens. Yeah. yeah everybody does that. Yeah. All right. Now we have a question from Zizen. Mm-hmm. Um, our last question about Worm and Ward and they ask, what aspects of Wildbow's writing do you feel has changed, improved the most between Worm and Ward? Matt? Um, yeah, if I had to pick one thing, which is which is difficult because I, man, uh, I, a lot of things uh, have, have, <laughs> have improved. Um, it would be the ability to communicate subtext precisely and... I'm going to attempt to explain what I mean by that. Okay. Which is that there will be something going on in the scene that the character is not thinking about or describing. None of the other characters are talking about, but you're walking away from that scene, understanding exactly what is really going on um, or, or what, what is really going on with the other characters, what's really going on with your point of view character, um, the implications of it are, are, are hinted to you in ways that can almost bypass the point of view character's attention and just occur to you. There's, there's a huge amount of nuance in this and, um, it's this, it's a, it's what I see as being like a very, very high level writer skill 
um, that is the kind of thing that I try to to learn from and pay, pay a lot of attention to. Um, I don't know if I've even described what I'm talking about very well. So I think you did. I think so. Um, yeah, I. It, it's kind of like the cool thing about this is, I, I well, before we started this project, I wondered, you know, what is the what is the difference going to be between Worm Wildbow and and Ward Wildbow? Is it going to be like, what is it going to look like? How different? And I think, I think the differences are subtle. Like, I think he's a better writer now. I absolutely think that. I think he writes with more confidence. I think he takes more chances. Um, the reason why I haven't been able to predict the story, like you guys all were <laughs> jokingly amazed with how I predicted some elements of the last story, is I think because he's he's taking bigger swings and, and more risks and doing things a little bit more unexpectedly. Um, but it's an, it feels like an evolution. This is not a, you can tell that he's still the same writer. You can tell that he's still the same person. He's just done it more. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the, the honest truth is that the more you write, the more confident you are, you become in your ability and the more willing you are to do things. I think uh, the idea of writing a, a protagonist as complicated as Victoria was probably something very daunting to him and something he probably would not have tackled five years ago. And He's doing it now, and I think he's succeeding. I know that's a semi-controversial opinion right now, but I think the character is nuanced and complicated and, and complex, and it's there. It's all there. The text is communicating what he wants it to, um, but it's doing it in a way that... Uh, it's not that it throws you for a loop, but it just it just keeps you guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, was that, I mean, does that count as an answer? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, don't, sure. I don't know if we got specific enough, but I hope that counts as an yeah, answer. Yeah, I think so. That was a really good question. Yeah. Um, and now we're moving on to, we have two questions about Weaver Dice. All right. Which which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, Cal Subalu asks, can you explain what your powers are in the Weaver Dice campaign? You never took any time in the actual podcast to go over your powers, and I feel like I have at best a shaky idea of what each of the PCs can actually do. Well, Cal Subalu... That's kind of intentional. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we can do like maybe a quick rundown about what we know so far. Yeah. And, um, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying that that Rusty actually has like a, a uh, I, I, man, it's been a little bit since I looked at my notes, but I believe it's called a perk where uh, no one except me and him know what his powers are. So yeah. S- Scott and Daniel don't know what his powers are. No, either. I mean. I mean, if you've listened to the latest episode, the reveal of Rusty's power was a live reveal to the two of us, just like it was to you. Our reaction was reacting to learning what this thing is for the first time. So it's not something we knew about at all. Um, Billy has a. Is it a is it technically a changer form? I don't know. I, don't I think know it's technically things. a changer form, although yeah. I call it breaker every single time. OK, yeah, he turns into a smoke cloud that is invisible and can we've seen it go through small objects so it can like he can shrink down or or be smoke and go through objects um and can screw with people's heads um i think we we outlined in the latest episode like the specifics of his thing but basically he has the ability to rewrite memories um he can rewrite a minute of time for an easier saving throw uh, and he can write five minutes for a more difficult one and it seems to get a little bit easier to do the more he does it to a person, but also um, it it has what is appears to be long lasting 
ramifications the more he does it to someone. Yeah. And that's all we know so far. Yeah, that's all we know about um about about Billy. Chad has uh a drone which appears to have a wide variety of capabilities and ability to swap out components and, and do some pretty um interesting and, and powerful things. Um and also the drone appears to have a little bit of a mind of its own, we've learned recently. Mm-hmm. Um and then he also makes garbage knickknacks um (laughs) the funniest thing about chad's power is how much people focus on the knickknacks which i think is fair because they're hilarious uh um, and how little people and how often people forget about his semi-sentient drone friend he made yeah um, which is a pretty important aspect of his power i think yeah and he also has a a visor that lets him um see through um objects up to a certain radius i mean i know we're not being super like clear in in these descriptions because frankly uh to be clear would be quite boring like I, I, we'd have to go into like well you roll this and you can see this yeah. far with the odds and then you have to check the other roll yeah no we we basically decided that it would be more entertaining to reveal the powers as we go um i know billy's got some tricks up his sleeve still um and i'm assuming the other two guys do as well so yeah and I think also we're we're trying to keep the character sheets updated. We may not be doing a good job at that. And in an yeah. ideal world, we we would be putting the powers that we've revealed on the show in the character sheet so that you can see what they are in detail. I would like to say that my character sheet is fully updated Excellent. to reflect that. Excellent. Good job. So thank good, you. Good job, Billy. All right. The final question of the night comes from Nils, who sent us an email, and he asked, this one's just for you, Matt. He says, I was curious why you chose Las Vegas as the location for the Weaver Dice campaign, especially since we see a good number of the Protectorate capes there in Worm. What made you choose Vegas, and how do you plan on interacting with or avoiding the canon knowledge we have about the city from Wildbow's work? Well, I, I thought about this quite a bit. Um, and I, I put in a, a gap of time, which I thought would be suitably, um, you know, a gap of time between this story and, and worm that I thought would be mm-hmm. large enough to explain away, uh, any kind of stepping on the canon that I did of like, Oh, well, you didn't put this character there. Well, I could just say like, well, they didn't move there yet and we don't know otherwise. So I'm going to just go with that. And, and also I, I specifically chose it to be Vegas because I thought there was so much potential in the mastery strangery machinations of of the vegas cape scene that we briefly saw when when taylor was interacting with the vegas capes and that just sounded awesome and i i i you know got carried away thinking about it um and then i placed it immediately after one of the major uh endbringer disasters to kind of you know create a um inciting event if you will where that can actually kind of paper over a lot of um, continuity details where it's like, well, everything's in chaos right now. Um, I, I didn't, uh, the, all that said, I didn't, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't break my heart if someone told me like, Hey, you really screwed up the, the canon here. Like this, <laughs> this isn't supposed to be this way. I would just be like, well, sorry. That's yeah. I mean, I mean, does anyone really pay attention to continuity when they're doing like D and mean, no. I, yeah. I mean, th- I think overall, this thing's supposed to be fun, a fun way for us to tell a story that we hope um, is both funny, but I think we got some dramatic stuff planned that I think is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I, I think in general, we're not too worried about continuity. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I think I've done my best. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> but, I think, yeah. I think you'll be fine. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah, that's that's, that's it. all. That's all we I got it. to say about that. We did it. All right. Um, yeah. So that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show. So feel free to v- provide us with advice, questions or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at mordenamailbag. Yep. <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. It's a weird week for us here. We're basically taking off on every other show except for this one. So uh, we'll be back to normal with your regularly scheduled programming next week and and beyond because we're we're starting a rebrand here pretty soon. A couple weeks. Yeah, that's right. Scott. Crap. Crap. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I got so much work to do. And if you like our shows and want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash films. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you uh, tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contest, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well, because this is his world. We're just answering questions about it. <laughs> and if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. We have no new reviews to read this week, so get on it, guys. We love those reviews. That's right. And that's it for the show this week. Next week, we resume your regularly scheduled programming and cover Beacon, chapters 8.4, 8.5, and read that chapter i forgot about that oh yeah vacations screwing everything up i think i read it (laughs) oh boy i'm so confused (laughs) what day is it